Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Crazy first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Only not too crazy, but lots of games, lots of stuff going on. We want to talk about USC uh, losing yesterday on Sunday to Baylor and now out of the tournament. And, of course, the season is over. We're going to talk with our buddy, Shotgun Spratling. You can follow him on Twitter at ShotgunSPR. He knows all about this USC basketball team. So we're going to get his thoughts takeaways from the game uh the future of the program all that kind of good stuff so we thought we'd do that today we're going to try to get harvey hyde on a little bit later on in the week so sorry we're going to mix it up this week because of the basketball team if you have any questions or comments podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address you can call us 641-715-3900 extension 816-646 or just go to our website peristylepodcast.com Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail uh, right there. We are on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, all kinds of ways to get a hold of us or download the show. And if you do that, please uh, go onto those sites and leave us some positive feedback. We always appreciate that. All right. Well, without further ado, let's bring in Shotgun. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? I am uh, rested now. I actually slept last night, so that was a positive. You know, it's been a... Uh a hectic week with the basketball team going and in the middle of baseball season. And last week had the Nike camp. So, you know, last night after the, after the, uh, the uh, season come to a close, I decided that it'd probably be a good idea to sleep some. Yeah. That's not your, uh, not your strong suit finding time to sleep, <laughs> I guess. Not very good at it. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So yeah, I, I squeezed in a little football too. I went to a tournament in uh, Linwood. And caught some of that. So got some, well, I still have to put the footage up and stuff of that. But yeah, lots of, uh, every weekend, it seems there's some kind of high school tournament. And, and of course, spring football is starting back up tomorrow. But today we wanted to talk some USC basketball because of course, uh, you know, made a nice little run there. I, I think overall, before we j- jump into the game, if you look back at the beginning of the season with all of the departures, uh, the people that left, uh, all the scoring that was gone and you know, the production that was gone, if you would have said, Hey, you know, this team's going to, win a record number of games for the program and win a couple games in the NCAA tournament and come pretty close to making the Sweet 16, I think a lot of the USC basketball fans, those ones that are out there, would say, I'd take that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you you look at the USC's basketball SID, Dave Tuttle, he's like the eternal optimist. Every beginning of every season, he's talking about how the team's going to be, you know, 30-0 and 0 and how all the national media is going to be there just joking. But that's kind of how it was. Like th- this seemed like a, a situation that he'd throw out there uh, at the beginning of the season. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. We lost six guys. It doesn't matter that we lost our, you know, two of our three leading scores. We'll still be good. We'll make the NCAA tournament. We'll make a little run. We'll, we'll cause some excitement. That's kind of what happened this season. Uh, you, you know, you, there were a ton of expectations, but uh, you know, USC was able to continue to get better throughout the season, even though they lost Benny Boatwright. You know, that really hurt them. You know, losing him for 17 games and part of the 18th. Um, the fact that they were continually able to get better, those young guys got better and better as the season went on. And that's why you, even when they went in that kind of the lull towards the end of the season when they had the three top ten opponents uh, in the Pac-12 uh, in a row and then lost to Arizona State, it's like there's a chance this team can make a little run and make a little noise. 
And, uh, you know, you got to be excited about the future if they can get everybody back going into next season. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're talking about the future for sure, but let's, let's break down the, the game a little bit. Um, early on, and, uh, maybe I'm a little pessimistic sometimes, uh, the USC offense to me just looked awful. And I was like, this could be, this could get the double digits and then be a blowout. Uh, but to USC's credit, it got the double digits and, and came back down. And then it was close, uh, most of the way. Uh, they kind of fell apart at the end. We'll talk about that later, but I really didn't expect much. Look in the beginning, the, the length of Baylor just seemed to screw up this USC team who loves just settling for outside jumpers all the time. And once they started kind of driving, it seemed to, to help things a little bit. Yeah, it seemed like the Baylor kind of threw them off a little bit with their length, which shouldn't have been the case. You know, that's kind of the scouting report on the Bears is, you know, they're super long, especially when they go in their zone. You know, it seemed like every time they win the man, USC was able to kind of get by them, get to the lane. But like you said, when they went to the zone, USC was kind of settling for the outside jumpers. And maybe that's because just like the formula for the first two games, they start out red hot the first three or four shots of the game. Benny Boatwright scores eight points on the first his three, first three shots of the, of the game, and USC's up 8-3. And then all of a sudden, it you know they go down, and you know it was kind of wavering between I think five and nine points for about ten, twelve minutes, and then finally USC went down by ten points, and you saw all the tweets, everybody saying, <laughs> "Oh, they're oh now that now they're ready to play, now there's ten points, double digit deficit, now they can come back and play," and it actually was true. It's kind of that's when they kind of woke up. They scored the next five points to end the half, and Baylor didn't score for you know four and a half minutes or so, uh, you know, spanning the halftime break and. USC went on a 10-0 run, tied the game up, and all of a sudden, you know, then you're like, okay, now we got a real game here, and you know, it was fun, a really fun game yesterday watching because both those teams were were hitting some tough shots, and both the teams shot really well. You know, that's the type of NCAA tournament game you want to see rather than you know, 15, 20 turnovers by both teams, and you know, just being a muck fest uh, and a bunch of fouls and that type of thing. This was an open court type of game. You know, there weren't a lot of fast break points in that in that regard, but there was a lot of fun, exciting play. And you got to see some guys going at it that are probably going to be playing at the next level and, and Jonathan Motley and, and probably Shemezi Metu. The um yeah, like I said, I was a little surprised. Uh, but like like you said, they you know, they they definitely once it got to ten points, it, it did seem to make all the Twitter predictions come true, which I didn't <laughs> think was gonna happen. I thought it was just gonna get worse. Um and then at the end, people a lot of people were talking about what they felt went wrong, and it just seemed like some fundamental stuff. I mean, missing the front end of a one-on-one, which is like, I hate that. That's like the worst thing ever. Um, the two desperation threes that would did like when there was two minutes left and it was still, you know, it was, I forget it was three points or something. And, and like long threes, like not even, it didn't set up the offense, wasn't ready for an offensive rebound. Uh, that was bad. But the, the real big thing for me is they gave up 10 offensive rebounds in the first half alone and then went like 15 minutes without giving up one towards the end of the, the game. They started giving up more offensive rebounds that gave Baylor, you know, more chances and of course run more clock. Uh, and that was, you know, to me, the biggest factor. The, the stretch where USC didn't give up offensive rebounds, they turned it around and were winning. And when they were giving up offensive rebounds, that's when it was a trouble, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the offensive rebounds, a lot of those, uh, you know, it, in the first half, it was just kind of Jonathan Motley was just kind of destroying them down low. He's going to be a potential first round pick, you know, or kind of a, He's kind of on the cusp of the first and second round, uh, depending on how he works out. Six foot ten, athletic, can, can do a lot. A guy that redshirted in college, which is very rare for you know potential first round picks. Uh, he redshirted his first year. He was only a three star guy coming out of high school, uh, but you see what a guy can develop into. You know, if they uh, add weight, I think he's had like 25, 30 pounds of muscle, like forty pounds overall. 
Uh, so that's what can happen for a guy like potentially Benny Boatwright or Harrison Henderson. You know, those guys who are really thin coming out of high school, you know, if they take the time and develop, that can, can be the case. He was just destroying them in the first half by himself on the boards. Uh, but in the second half, I, I feel like some of those, the, uh, the rebounds that were coming off, you know, there were long threes that came off and, and sometimes those are hard to get. It wasn't like, I, I didn't feel like USC was just getting beat, uh, you know, by guys to the spot or whatever it may be to get those offensive rebounds. It's kind of unfortunate. You know, maybe one or two of them, you know, they could have grabbed, you know, it was close, that type of thing. And I think they got a three off of a, uh, off of a offensive rebound situation. You know, that was, that was a, wasn't as big of a deal to me, but you know, some of the rush shots, it seemed like, I mean, USC, you know, getting Benny the ball right, the ball and having him shoot an outside shot is not unusual. Uh, but when he plays inside the offense and lets someone create a shot, create the open sh- opening for him and stays out the three point line, drive and kick, that type of thing, you know, he's one of the best, he's one of the, a dynamic college basketball player then, one of the best in the country, I think. When he tries to force a shot, then it becomes a little bit more, uh, difficult for him to make the shots, even though he's uh, fully capable of doing that. You know, I didn't think it, w- it was bad until the like the last two minutes. USC got down by six. You know, they they uh, LeCompte went on the, his run. You know, he scored eight straight points out of nowhere. He hadn't scored all night. He hadn't really done anything in the, in the first game of the season. He'd been hurt uh, at the end of the season. Just kind of comes out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, give give a lot of credit to Scott Drew for going to the small lineup and, and putting him in and not bringing back in a seven-footer when uh, Motley got his fourth foul. And, you know, it worked out for him. They, they went on that little run. USC kind of, I feel like they got a little desperate. Like, like you said, they got a little desperate with about two and a half minutes left because of that run and, you know, getting down by six, which is the, the biggest margin that had been the entire second half. Uh, because once USC kind of scored the first five points and tied it up in the second half, you know, it's pretty back and forth the whole time, which made it a really exciting game. And then, you know, even though USC jacked up a couple of those shots, they still had a chance coming down the wire. I think with, uh, 21 seconds, I believe it was. Chemezi Metu throws on a dunk. It's a two-point game again. You foul them. You know, they made a couple free throws. You got 16 seconds left on the clock. Why shoot the three then? I say drive it in, you know, and, and, and try to get an easy two again. And it's something you saw if you saw the Louisville game or even the Duke game later is, you know, they kept forcing the issue by, by driving in, getting that basket, and making the other team make free throws. Now, give Baylor a lot of credit. They made their free throws down the stretch. They made the last four in the game. Um, in the last, you know, 16, 18 seconds of the game, you know, that, but I say make uh, the team make another clutch free throw. If you foul them, well, you, you make a layup with 10 seconds left. You foul them again, you know, you at least have eight seconds or so that you're going to potentially get a chance to tie if they miss one of those, uh, free throws. So that's what I would have done. That would, that would have been my difference in, in coaching or, you know, or playing in that, that particular instance is drive the ball late in the game. And try to get force them to make those clutch free throws in a big situation. Yeah, and it, you know you can't fault uh, Metu for trying to block that one shot and you know takes the goal ten, but that was a that was a killer. That was uh yeah. I mean that I mean that it's an aggressive play. It's like you don't want to say you know bash the kid for doing that, but man, if you let that go, that ball's not going in. Yeah, and you know you see by his reaction, him running all the way down to the other side of the court was he thought he got it. He he really thought he got it before it got to the glass. He thought he got it and put it on the glass versus catching it on the glass like he ended, like the replay showed. You know, it was super close. You know, a lot of people in the arena, you saw some of the, the uh, writers and stuff, uh, and before the replay, the announcers were, were asking, is that a goaltender or is it not? You know, it's a very tough call to make and give the, the referees a lot of credit in that situation. We're getting that one exactly right. But, you know, sometimes you see a, a call like that 
go the way of the defense. You know, the uh, offense, the uh, referee lets the, the play go. And, you know, if that's the case, USC's down by two points and they've got the ball uh, with, I think, 30 seconds left. And, and you know, you got to like your chances then with, with guys like McLaughlin, Metu, Boatwright, and Stewart all playing really well last night. The, um, if you go to uscfootball.com, your column, your, your three pointer that you talk, your different points of the game. The second one was about, uh, guys that maybe you didn't really expect, uh, where they were even on the, you know, where they were even in the media guide and they come out and start crushing it. Um, one in the beginning of the game and then one at the end when, like you said, you thought USC might have an advantage and it completely flipped the other way, but two guys that you wouldn't expect to be like really start off and, and just for a few minutes of the game took over and really put USC out of it. Yeah, I mean, Manu Lacomte has been really good for Baylor this year. He transferred from uh, Miami after two seasons and sat out last year. He's been really good for him all year. He's their second leading scorer, I believe. You know, But the thing is, he's been hurt. He got hurt uh, late in the season. He missed two games. He was okay. He was pretty good, actually, in uh, the Big 12 tournament in the one game they lost. But then, you know, the NCAA tournament, he was three of nine against New Mexico State and, you know, got, a, got I think, six points in the last minute and 30 when they were up by 18, I think. So, you know, just garbage time points there. Um, you know, and he started off, he missed his first six shots, including, uh, I think, four threes. Um, so you see him get a get a look at the top of the key. Don't necessarily expect that to be the, the guy that, that makes one, the dagger there. But even when he makes that first one, it's a four-point play. Like, okay, you know, you still can recover from that. But then USC turns the ball over. He gets the ball. He gets fouled. He makes both free throws. Then he makes a, a a a little floater in the in the lane. He makes a layup. All of a sudden, this guy's come on fire, and he's got eight point. He's got twelve points in the last four and a half minutes of the game. When Motley's been out, you know, you expect when Motley goes out, you're like, all right, now's the time for USC to kind of take over without Baylor Star being in. But you know, they weren't able to do it because Le- Lecomte really stepped up in the, in that moment, and that's what you had to have in the NCAA tournament. Your stars can't carry, uh, you know, the the you can't carry you at every single moment of the game. You know, they, they can't be the guys to put you on the back. I mean, a team like Davidson had Steph Curry. Steph Curry could only do so much. You know, even though he's going to become the, you know, top player in the NBA potentially, uh, you know, he, he couldn't do it all in college. Someone has to else has to step up. That's when you need the, you know, your, your sixth or seventh guy. You need Nick Rokosevich to come in against Providence and give you big energy and give some buckets. You need a guy like Elijah Stewart to wake up and, you know, make some baskets like he did in the, in the last two games. You know, that's what LeCompte did. He woke up and, and, you know, fulfilled the moment and lived in, lived in the moment and, you know, created his own little legacy now at Baylor, uh, for a, for a Belgian native, native. But also, you know, their sophomore guard, King McClure, didn't, I think he played six minutes in the first game. Yeah. Uh, did, and, you know, when you scored 91 points, you expect everybody to, you know, chip in, especially a guy who's starting for you. He played six minutes and didn't score. Comes out against USC, so he was red hot. He, he got shooting early, and he's the one that, uh, you know, got him out to that 10 point lead early is because he, I think he had, uh, 14 points in the first half. He made four threes, he finished with, uh, 17 maybe and five threes. So, you know, give that guy credit for, for stepping up. And that's what you would expect from guys, you know, if you want to make a tournament run. You know, if DeAnthony Melton would have hit, uh, you know, he had a three late in the game. If he hits that, you know, that's the type of person you need to step up. The Anthony Melton played a lot better in this game than he had in a couple of the others. Um, so, but, you know, that would have been the case for USC. They needed somebody like DeAnthony Melton or Shaquan Aaron to, to step up and, and make some, make some big plays. And, you know, that didn't happen down the stretch. And, and credit Baylor for, for getting it done with a small lineup without their bigs in there. They, they took care of business and, 
they're moving on, and now they got a great opportunity to advance now that uh, South Carolina beat Duke. So that'll be a fun little matchup in, in the Sweet 16 of two teams that, that could have been out easily. Yeah, it could have been USC versus USC, man. That would have been uh, – Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no other USC. <laughs> That's scar. That's scar. Especially because every time I go home to Georgia, you know, I say something about USC. They're like, oh, you, you've been up to – You've been up to Greenville to, to see South Carolina? I'm like, no, that, that, is, not, that is not USC. That's U of <laughs> SC. Um, is there something – it seems that this happens a lot with the basketball team. I mean, they just kind of allow guys to get hot. And I think you tweeted something about that. Is there something that – you know, a deficiency in the defense or something that allows that where there's two different guys that you didn't expect to be studs, at least for this game – uh, you said, you know, like, like, you know, had been, you know, been a, a strong player for them, but just not recently. Um, is there something you think that USC could change? Because they, it seemed to allow that kind of thing to happen, uh, fairly, fairly often, I guess. You, you know, I think, and I haven't really discussed this with, with Andy Enfield, but I think he often tries to take away the stars uh, of another team and force those other guys to, to shoot. So, you know, you play off of a guy who hasn't scored, you know, a couple games or hasn't been shooting well, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, try to play up on real shooters and force them to drive. You know, try to individualize the defense to an extent. Um, but also USC, you know, gave up a lot of open looks, especially uh, early in the year and early in the first half because they, they just don't get the defensive intensity. doesn't get going, it seems like, until they got down by 10. That was that was the, the kind of difference between USC as a when they were down by 10 points versus USC, you know, at the beginning of a game is just – the intensity wasn't always there. And maybe that's a, a product of the coaching. Maybe that's a product of the, the inexperience of the team. I mean, granted, you, you look at Chemezi Metu and Benny Boatwright played a ton of minutes this year, but, I mean, you know, those guys are, are still very young. I, I looked at Benny Boatwright play, has played less minutes total uh, or played just a little bit more minutes total, maybe 100 more minutes, which is a couple, like two games, than Jordan McLaughlin played this year himself. Um, so, you know, he's still very inexperienced as a sophomore and you, you, you threw those four freshmen in there and three of them had to play big minutes this year, you know, so there was some inexperience at times, the inbounding especially, uh, was something that kind of, you know, made you scratch your head, but you, you kind of wonder why they can't lock in early and is, is it a product of, does any infield need to scream at them early in the game or, or in the locker room before, or, you know, maybe it's like a pitcher who comes in and struggles in the first inning. You got to get them, you know, you got to give them a couple, uh, Got to get him 10, 15 extra pitches in the bullpen so he's ready to go as soon as he comes into the game. Uh, maybe that's the type of thing they need to do. Do something different in the locker room to, to kind of get things going early. You know, it's funny. The, um, the, it didn't get bad. Like we said, it got to 10, but that was it. Um, and then USC ended up getting like a five point lead. But to me, it, it seemed like the peak a little bit early. Um, it was, it's almost like if you did that later on, then the, the team doesn't, the, the, your opponent doesn't have time to kind of, you know, you take a couple punches, they have time to get back up, and it's only like the seventh round. You still have time. USC kind of made their move early on, and I think if it would have been a later move, then USC ended up collapsing basically at the end. If it was a later move, then there's no time to collapse, and there's no time to, to make a comeback. So I don't know. Maybe that was part of it too. Well, in, in basketball, I don't think you can kind of time your runs. I, I don't <laughs> think it's like like boxing where you're like, all right, I'm just going to take some punches in this round and kind of conserve my energy and go for a knockout next round. I don't think that's really the case. It's like you're either making shots or you're not. I mean, it's not like you you can save a certain uh, a special defense for one play. Like, all right, this particular play, we're going to automatically get a steal. 
we're going to go down, we're going to get a free dunk, and it's going to change the momentum of the game. It's, it's just not quite the same. I mean, uh, maybe with your substitution patterns, you can do a little bit of that. Like, how do we save a player? And, and you saw, you know, Baylor um, with about, what was it, 12 minutes left, USC took a four-point lead, and even though Motley had three fouls, or uh, they threw him back in there, and he, you know, he made a couple plays really quick and kept the game really close, kind of kind of stymied the momentum a little bit for USC, and and uh, they were able to to kind of hold on. He picks up the foul, you know, just a couple possessions in, it has to sit, and that's when they went with the four guard lineup, and that's when everything kind of changed. Uh, and also King McClure kind of hitting the three pointer. It kind of was like, okay, Motley's out, but we can still score points, and that kind of you know gave them a, a breath of relief. So uh, as far as maybe substitution patterns, maybe the only thing you can really do to kind of time when you want to, you know, do a certain, make a certain run, you know, put your five starters in or that type of thing. I don't think that was necessarily what USC was doing is trying to time it and come back there. You know, you're just happy that you, you get back ahead and maybe any infield's thinking, all right, we finally woke up earlier this game. So maybe we'll push out and we won't have a close finish. We'll actually win by, you know, seven, eight, 10 points. Uh, maybe that was the thinking there, but uh, unfortunately for USC, you know, the small guard lineup, and LeCompte just proved to be too much for him. So last year, uh, in the first couple of years for Edfield, there were some struggles. You know, last year, some optimism at the tournament. This year, you know, play in game, but, you know, win that, you know, upset the first round, comebacks, you know, 13 comebacks, double digit comebacks, the most in the NCAA this year, uh, you know, record wins, 26 wins. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of positives and people look at, Hey, you're building a program. He's getting his guys in there. A lot of the guys, you know, when Andy Enfield took over, probably a lot of those players he wouldn't have recruited. Um, you know, now he's got his guys in the program. So usually people are like, yeah, this is great. But people, there's optimism there. But because of all the departures last year, you talk to some USC fans and they're just like, yeah, that was this year, but, you know, are, are the guys going to leave? And so I think there's some, I, I guess some of the, the fans are kind of pessimistic because they're just not sure it's, can you build from one year to the other? Do you have to restart again next year? And if Boatwright and Metu end up leaving, it's kind of like you're restarting again. Yeah, there's the Duke transfer and stuff like that. There's some there's some positives there, but it would be a lot easier to build around guys that really established themselves this year and Metu improved quite a bit. And of course, Boatwright. So, what what are your kind of thoughts on you know the future and and especially for those two guys, Shaka? I mean, it, I think those guys should do. Uh, I think Josh put it on our board and. He said that both those guys, Elijah Stewart, Jordan McLaughlin, should all go through the process. You know, enter your name. If you get invited to the combine, go and, you know, listen to what the NBA uh, execs have to say. And, you know, if they say that you're a first round pick and a team falls in love with them, then hey, go for it. If you're not going to be a first round pick, though, you should come back. For one, because you get guaranteed money in the first round. You don't uh, get that in the second round. And there's a very good chance you get cut depending on what team drafts you because if they've got a roster and they already like their guys, then they're not going to hold on to a guy because there's, they don't have any, uh, they don't have any investment in you. So they'll send you the D league where you're making, uh, 15 to $25,000. I'm not exactly sure of the numbers, but it's not very much. You, you, you get stuck. And even though a guy like Nikola Jovanovic has been very good in the D league from the couple times I've, I've looked at his stats, uh, you know, where is he going to fit in at, at the next level? Would it have made sense? Could he have improved enough next season to uh, the ne- this season um, to push himself into the draft versus him and, and Julian both uh, being undrafted? That's what those guys have to to kind of weigh the option. If I go and I do this combine, I, you can go and do that and then still take your name out of the draft ten ten uh, days afterwards, up to ten days. 
So you go, you check it out, see what they have to say. All right, you know, they say, hey, we want you to work on your lateral quickness isn't good enough, Benny Boat, right? Or Chimazzi, we need you to get stronger. We just don't think you can battle down low with, with Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins right now. Uh, you know, those are the type of players you're going to be going up against. So Benny Boatwright has to look at, hey, can I guard uh, DeMarcus Cousins? Can I guard Boogie? I mean, that guy is a beast. That's the guy you're going to be guarding if you get on a team and you go into a game. That's what you have to look at. Can you do that right now? If not, can you come back and improve yourself, adding more muscle, adding uh, you know quickness with, with his uh, agility side to side? And you have to think about Benny Boatwright. People keep uh, you know have dinged him really hard on you know not moving his feet and stuff. He had a, an inch to an inch and a half tear in his hip before the season. He had surgery on that. Uh, had to have a labral surgery there. And then he comes back and he has a a nerve issue in the back of his shooting shoulder. Uh, so he misses the first couple games. Then he tears his, his MCL. I mean, it's a sprain, but a severe sprain, which means any sprain is actual tear of a ligament. So he is, he's torn his MCL. So all those things are playing against him being able to move side to side. So if he comes back a year and shows that he can do that really well and he has a, a great offseason, you know, and those guys will get an opportunity to play in the Drew League again, which is great opportunities to improve themselves. And you saw the jump that, that, have, that each of those guys, the four veterans, Jordan McLaughlin, Elijah Stewart, uh, Benny Boatwright and Spencer Metu, they made each offseason. And, you know, you, you kind of project a little bit, hey, if you make this jump again next season, wh- where are teams going to, where are NBA teams going to be looking at you next year when you go through the process? Are you now a first rounder, Chemezi Metu, which is a very good possibility? Maybe you play your way up even, you know, higher into it. And now there's a lot more money versus taking a risk and hoping a team likes you in the second round and hoping they keep you on after training camp. It's a lot different. And it's a risk reward, obviously. Because there is an opportunity to make money immediately. There is an opportunity to uh, be playing basketball every day and not be your focus rather than academics or whatever it may be. But you also, you can earn yourself a lot more money by investing in yourself in, in this offseason versus investing, letting a team invest in you now and, and maybe or maybe not uh, go, go for, go and let you be on a, a roster next season. You know, um, last year, if I'm not mistaken, the guys that left uh, didn't even get invited to the combine, right? Yeah, neither one of them did get invited, and that kind of should have been a you know a a notice, like all right, because the the I looked it up last night. The draft combine invites are based on GMs, team execs saying, yeah, we want to see that guy. So there's no there's no set limit. It's not like hey, there's going to be 50 guys, there's going to be 100 guys, there's going to be you know whatever. There's no set limit. The the NBA decides, yes, we want to say that guy, or no, we don't. Don't. Uh, so when the execs say, yeah, we don't really care about seeing you at the combine, that should tell you that, okay, I'm not ready. They're, they're not interested in me, so maybe I can improve my game in another fashion. So if, if any of those four experienced guys don't get invited, they should definitely say, I should come back. They do get invited. Like I said, you go, you, you take the feedback that you hear because they're going to tell you, you know, we think in another year, you know, you could be really good. We need you to do this, though, before we'd be really interested. You know, you take that feedback, you, you run with it, and, and you make yourself better. And all of a sudden, you know, you have a team like uh, Oregon is this year with Dylan Brooks and, and Jordan Bell coming back. And, you know, they're a team that can make a Final Four run. USC it could be fully capable of that next year, depending on how, you know, the team meshes and, you know, all those different things with – with Derek Thornton, you know, playing the point guard alongside of Jordan McLaughlin, you add O'Bannon, you add a couple other pieces. You know, this could be a team that, with that added depth, if everyone comes back, could make a serious run next year in the tournament 
and would be off the top of my head, I would say they're probably a top 15 team, you know, to, to start the season preseason if everyone returns. Is there a chance that like Boatwright leaves, but Metu stays, or do you think they're kind of both do the same thing? You know, I, I think they, they're their own individual people. They're good friends, but I don't think it's necessarily one is the other. I don't think they're going to look and say, well, he left. I guess, I, I guess I better leave because this team's going to be so much different next year without him. Um, I just think that, you know, they're, they're different types of players. So there's different things that they can work on. So therefore, I, I think they're, they're separate in that uh, decision rather than being a, uh, a combo deal. Yeah. It should be, uh, it should be interesting. Um, when do we know? When is the, uh, when do we find out like when they have to make a decision? We like just like January 15th or something or 18th or whatever it is for, for football, what it is for basketball. Uh, so you have the draft combine, which I believe I'm looking up real quick. Uh, you have the draft combine and then you have 10 days after that to, uh, say, Hey, I'm, I'm staying in or, or just stay in or to say, Hey, I'm coming back and, and withdraw your name. Now, the, the other thing is the, the, if they hire an agent, then that's it. It's over. The draft combine is May 9th through the 14th. They have until April 23rd to submit their early entrant paperwork to the NBA to be considered for the combine and the draft. Uh, but then a- after that, you know, you have May 9th through 14th of the combine. So then uh, I believe the 24th or 25th of May would be the final cutoff of they've got to make a decision yes or no. All right. Well, we got a couple of months. Yeah. And if they, if they just hire an agent, then it's over. It doesn't even, uh, but you kind of get the feeling. I mean, if they're both not invited to the combine, say, um, which I don't know, maybe I think, you know, probably will, but I'm not real sure. Um, and they still end up leaving. That's going to get you, you know, or if, or if they, they go out and they're drafted in the second round or something. Um, I mean, there's going to be, I think, even more pressure on Andy Enfield because, you know, even last year, USC fans were like, well, why are these guys leaving? Like no one's making the NBA. Um, and if it happens again with guys that are like, yeah, are, are they going to be? You know, NBA stars, like probably not, they, they could use more seasoning. These are the kind of the guys that could, you know, become a junior or a senior and, and really help themselves. Um, is there going to be more pressure on Andy Enfield? Cause it seems like already, even after last year, a lot of the fans on the Peristyle, just the, the USC basketball fans seem to be, you know, questioning why these guys would go. Yeah. I think, I think you then question like the, uh, the chemistry of the team, the locker room environment that why so many people would leave. Um, but I feel like it's a little bit different this year than last year just because these are really Andy Enfield recruits. These are the guys that he came in. Jordan McLaughlin was his first big recruit. You know, that's, this is the group that, that he brought in himself and, you know, to turn around the program, him and Elijah Stewart. And, you know, they had a couple other guys, Malik Martin, Malik Marchetti, that were in that group and they've taken off. Now, the guys that left, both those guys, Kate and Reinhardt, Darren Clark, the four transfers that took off with, with still eligibility left. They all left for opportunities to play more. Uh, I mean, you, you look at where they went. Darren Clark went to Grand Canyon. And he was playing. He got to play a lot this year. He, uh, he was actually out in uh, Phoenix when USC was there, or in Tempe, excuse me, when USC was there to see Arizona State. He checked him out at practice, stopped by, and said hi to everybody. You know, so there's still a, a good vibe there between them. Uh, Caton Reinhardt goes to Marquette. Um, and gets an opportunity to play. He was playing actually the four. He was playing between the one and four, you know, positions on the, on the court, uh, at different times. And, you know, they had a great season there and was very vital to them and a couple of their big upsets that they had. And, you know, they had some big wins, made the tournament. And then the Marquette, I mean, the Maliks both went to smaller schools. So, 
you expect them to have a better opportunity to get in the starting lineup and, and get uh, real minutes when they uh, next year when they're eligible to play again. Versus, you know, this year, this year it looked like you see a guy like D'Anthony Melton. D'Anthony Melton's going to take those minutes that Marchetti was getting. Uh, a guy like Nick Rokosovich comes in. He was going to take those minutes that, that Malik Martin was getting. So those guys left for a better opportunity, and you can't hate on them for doing that. And hopefully USC doesn't have that same type of situation. I mean, uh, if you're throwing out uh, wild ideas, you could see Shaquan Aaron leaving if he's not happy, leaving again. I mean, you could pull out Kate Reinhardt and do a double transfer. Uh, you could see a guy like Elijah Stewart take off because you know Charles, I mean uh, Chuck O'Ben is going to come in and get some minutes or something like that you could see those type of things but I don't think that's the same I don't think it's the same type of situation as last year uh, I don't think those are, are going to be the case this season whereas last year you kind of went in and you're like okay they're going to lose a couple guys this offseason for one they needed to, to I think they lose two just to get under the scholarship because the guys that are coming in so uh, you know, this year not exactly the same type of case. So if if they do have the departures, then yes, it is definitely on any infield, and there will be a lot of questions about that. All right, we have an important topic to get to. Uh, did a great job with the basketball stuff, but I had a podcast last week um, with our friends over at Rain of Troy, and uh, <laughs> you were a little dis- you were a little dismayed that we talked about something that I really saw on your Twitter feed, um, which was kind of funny. The uh, the breakfast cereal bowl. Uh, they, they did a tournament about breakfast cereals. So we'll figure it at the end. So we're done talking about basketball. So if you hate, you don't want to listen to this. Um, <laughs> just, you can just, you know, hang up or whatever. Um, so, and I think that the funny thing that if you guys didn't hear the podcast from last week, uh, I forget who it was that did it, shocking. They did a 64 team tournament with breakfast cereals. I think the winner was cookie crisp with chocolate milk, which is pretty special. Uh, my favorite cereal of all time is, uh, Fruity Pebbles and I ended up finishing second. So I feel pretty good about that. But I wanted to give you your shot since you were the one that kind of brought that up, you know, that uh, showed me on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, the original idea because ESPN was doing their 24 hours of brackets and they, they teased a, a cereal bracket and I never saw the actual results, uh, because they were, they kept teasing it and not getting to it and there were actual games on other channels. So, um, but the the obvious winner of a, any cereal bracket is going to be Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It's the number one seed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be it, it's going to be an upset if anyone ever knocks off Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I mean, Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the greatest cereal that parents never want their kids to have because they'll never want to eat anything else for breakfast again. I mean, you, one you get the cinnamon toast, you get the cinnamon toast, you get the crunch uh, of the the cereal, but then you have this the special milk at the end. The cinnamon milk is great. I mean, I now I give credit to to the guy who who posted his bracket of 64 that gave Cookie Crisp with chocolate milk. That's thinking outside the box. <laughs> that I mean, is. there's not many cereals that you can put chocolate milk into, and you know it makes the cereal better and doesn't kind of ruin the entire experience. Because I I tried this one time. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself. I once tried. We were out of milk, so I once tried to put Kool Aid in a cereal. I was six years old, but hey, I'm just thinking outside the box. I'm like this will work. I love Kool Aid. I love cereal. Put them together, it's gonna be great. It was terrible. I was devastated. I probably cried in my, my room for about three weeks, but uh, you know, I, I finally got over it. But thinking outside the box and putting the chocolate milk with the cookie crisp, you know, I give him credit for that. However, I think that my, I, I, I felt like this would be an NCAA violation since we were doing a bracket. You know, just an illegal benefit. You know, bringing in the chocolate portion. I mean, I, I don't know that NCAA would, would let that go along. <laughs> But yeah, we, we, we kind of came up with the bracket and it was a discussion in, in the office where, uh, where I was working at that night. And we both, we, there was a lot of stuff going back and forth. So I threw it out on Twitter and, you know, it became a very fun conversation, just kind of linking 
which uh, cereals were which schools to and, and why they were, were certain things. And, you know, and you look at sales, does sales play into it? Because Cheerios is, you know, uh, going to be a top all time, all top seller. But, you know, Cheerios has a better version of itself. It's like Cheerios playing, you know, it's, it's college. It's Chemezi Metu right now playing himself when he was an eighth grader. Like it's not the same because you got Honey Nut Cheerios, you got the Apple Cinnamon Cheerios. Like those are way better than regular Cheerios. So you know, there's a lot of discussion back and forth about some of the different topics. So we had fun with it, and I saw you guys talked about it, and I was very upset that I got I missed out on the cereal bracket conversation. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm a Cinnamon Toast Crunch fan too. Uh, it's a, it's one of those. It's kind of similar to not taste wise, but like it'll get a little mushy, and the 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 milk turns amazing. Uh, but it's still hard. Like the milk from Fruity Pebbles is, is, man, it's amazeballs. It's crazy. Like it, it's fruity. So which, I, you know, I like that. Maybe I just like that flavor a little bit better, but there's some similarities there. I mean, I once had this idea and if someone wants to run with it, and, you know, become a millionaire, just, you know, give me like a 1% stock <laughs> option or something. Um, but to create a line of cereal milks, I mean, I would drink cinnamon toast crunch cereal milk like all the time. Like Ooh. I'd stop in a convenience store and like, uh, do I want a Mountain Dew, a Pepsi, a Coke? What do I, I'll take the Cinnamon Toast Crunch milk, obviously. That's the obvious choice every time. <laughs> uh, and I feel like, you know, you have a couple of cereals and, you know, you get the Cocoa Pebbles. Now, see, there's the difference. The Cocoa Pebbles, you know, they get the chocolate milk inherently. So, you know, that's a boost for them because they have that extra benefit coming. But you can't, you can't knock them for it because they didn't put the extra benefit in themselves. It just comes naturally. Uh I think that would be pretty good. I would do that. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's still a thing. Like when I was growing up, uh, we used to have like the powdered Nestle quick that you would put in your milk and mm-hmm. make chocolate milk. But the, the, the badass one was the strawberry. Like you would make strawberry milk. Like that was just like a candy bar or something. Like that was crazy. I did enjoy some strawberry milk. You know, <laughs> I will not lie. I, I hit up some chocolate milk or strawberry milk or a, I'll, a yoohoo when I'm on ro- my road trips. You know, Yoohoo is almost an always a uh, an option. Almost usually ha- happens at least once every road trip that I go on. I hit up a Yoohoo. Um, but you, you know, the uh, I lost my train of thought. But oh, uh, I was going to say Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So getting back to why it should be number one in college, we had an open buffet type of style cafeteria, and then you had Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So you would go down the line, you'd look, you're like, all right, there's no good sandwiches. There's no good, oh, that, that meatloaf looks terrible. Cinnamon Toast Crunch night. Cinnamon Toast Crunch night. You get two <laughs> or three bowls of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and you're fulfilled, and you're happy, and you're ready to you know, study really hard the rest of the night. <laughs> nice. Well, okay, so for our last podcast, we did a lot of off-topic stuff. And I didn't get any hate mail. Uh, there was a little, you know, but people kind of like you know, mixing it up a little bit. This is a different just because we do basketball the whole time. Um, so we'll throw a little off topic stuff at the end. And I, I warned you. So if you didn't like it, you could stop. We're not going to talk about anything else. Um, so we just ended it there, but I wanted to give shotgun an opportunity. He was going to do a, a recap for the basketball season anyway. So it seemed to work well. Uh, but thanks again, shotgun for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right. Shotgun Spratling. We'll see him out there at practice. You going uh Tuesday or when will we see you out there? I'll be there. Now the basketball is done. My schedule is cleared back up for, for football spring practices. My favorite. Right. All right. We'll be out there for spring ball. It's like week two. They've only had three practices, but for the next four weeks, it'll be all USC spring football. So stay tuned to that. We'll try to get, like I said, Harvey Hyde a little bit later on this week. Uh, maybe some Dan Weber, maybe some Gerard Martinez. Uh, we'll see what we can do. Uh, crazy, 
going to be a kind of crazy week getting back into spring football, but it should be fun. So hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.